Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. Now, to tell you something, people, I uh, I haven't shaved my head lately, and I think it's starting to make me look old because I notice every once in a while I do background work. And a few weeks ago, I did a show, and they said, are you okay being a gay couple? And I said, sure. So then I started thinking, well, what kind of gay man are they going to put me with? I mean, if they put me with, like, a big schleppy guy, I'll feel bad. But they put me with this young 25-year-old guy, and I felt good. I was like, I'm like a sugar daddy. But yesterday I did I did some work and they put me with a lady who was like 60 and I think it's because my hair is moved growing in and it's gray so I really have to shave it this weekend because I just feel old and it's not good. Anyway, we have a we have a great show today. Uh, we have a, she's a fantastic author and she's from New Jersey where I'm from. I'm from yeah. Cherry Hill and it's a Jillian Lauren. How you doing? Hi, thank you so much for having me. Cheers. Yes, yeah, I loved it because yeah. it's so funny when I, I, well, actually, I came upon your name because you did, uh, I think you were doing Vicki Abelson's uh, mm-hmm. Women Who Speak, and I know Vicki and I know her friends, Elle. And then I read about your books and I said, oh, I want to get her on. And then I heard you're from Jersey and I went, you can't beat that. All right. Well, I didn't know that that was the credential. But no, no, I, but I, I, no, it helped. It helped. So, so uh, I want to talk to you now. Now, when you grew up in New Jersey, I know you, you, your book, and the, the first one was a bestseller. Mm-hmm. And this one, everything you ever wanted was great. And uh, thank you so much. It's just what, what really, as and we're going to talk about it more, but what really touched me is it's just a, it really um, shows what I think a lot of parents go through. But you had a situation where a lot of parents aren't used to that. Like you, you know, we don't think, you know, you, you know, you adopted someone who was older, I mean, not older, but a year from a different country. And I know you were adopted yourself. And I mm-hmm. think, I think. Parents don't expect what's going to happen, and I think your patience and I and it's funny. It's throughout the book, you were you. Your whole thing was that you didn't think you were patient, and and but the thing is, your patience was really great, and I mean, which is is, is commendable to you. Thank you. Uh, patience. Gosh, if I could have, if I could have just a little more of one thing. I think that all the time, you know, when I, when I snap or I act rashly as a parent. Um, Right. I say something I wish I had just had one more one more minute of patience sometimes. But I did it turned out have much more than I thought. It's true. And and I think that, you know, that we all have a lot more in us than we think we have. Um, and that, we, you know, when we're in extraordinary circumstances, like um, when my son was very young, he had some special needs and it was very challenging. Um you know, that, that showed me parts of myself that I had no idea were there. Now, now you grew up in New Jersey and I said you were adopting Mm -hmm. yourself and now, and you, what, at what age did your parents tell you where you were adopted? So my parents did really beautifully with the adoption thing, uh, given the the ethos of the time around adoption. Uh, I talked to my mother about this now, and she's like, I, I could have done it better. We just didn't know. We didn't have counseling like you guys have counseling. I'm like, no, I know, Mom, you did great. Um, so they, I don't ever remember finding out. So my parents told me I was adopted from... It, it like it was always in the dialogue. It's the same thing I did with my son. Like I always was talking about it, always mentioning it. Not like we're having some big weighty conversation about it every five minutes. Just uh, you know, remember when I adopted you and you know you were banging on the table with a spoon or yeah, you know, just like little things so that it becomes casual and it becomes. Uh, normal and it's never like son there's something i have to tell you you see, know see that's good because i know i'm 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 i think you're i'm 10 years older than you i believe and i remember when i was born they, i never got my feet printed 
So my older brother ah. and sister would always tell me I was adopted. And, right. and back then it was like, oh my God. And the funny thing is, you're right, it's changed so much. And and the funny thing is, it, it is a great thing. I mean, it's one of those things, I mean, I know in my high school, I don't know if I knew, because we didn't, if we knew, no one talked about it. You know, I have one friend right. who I know now, who I've been friends with out here, who was adopted and he wanted to go to meet his parents. But it wasn't, people didn't talk about it. And I think that's what's good, like as I said, about your book and like Nia Barlow's book, that you you guys talk about, that it's okay, it's okay, and and it and it's a great thing because you're giving someone a new life. Yeah, it it's it was the same way, uh, you know, jurors, but growing up in Livingston, uh, it was the same way, and and I imagine the same way most places at that time in the '70s, um, where you know there was one other kid that I knew that my parents told me had been adopted. Uh, and I remember I was just, I was so eager to talk to him about it because it really was an unusual thing. And I, I think it's less unusual now, but it's still, it's still special. Um, and that's how I, that's how I saw it then. And that's how I still see it. I, I do think it's a special thing. And, um, uh, and that's how my parents raised me to think. And it was always really a source of, um, it, it really inspired my imagination. And that doesn't mean that it wasn't sometimes fraught and that, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of different feelings about it at different times and wonder, you know, what it is I'm really a part of and who I belong to. Um, I'm much more settled about that now that I have my own family. Um, but it, it was, uh, uh, you know, uh, my parents, really encouraged me to tell stories about it and to, um, you know, they would tell over and over the story about when they adopted me. And so, um, it, you know, it just became a very, a very loving thing in our house. Now, now when you were younger, I know cause you wanted to be an actress Uh huh. now at what age? Cause I always, I have a lot of actors on and, and it's so funny how, you know, it seems like the guys always want to be actors in high school. Cause when they go, Oh, we're all the girls, the cute girls are acting. Yeah. But at what point did you, did you think you wanted to be an actress? What time did, when did you want to be creative? And even when did you know you could write? Because writing is writings. I mean, as kids, you know, I mean, we want to write, but the, the kids don't think like, Oh, I'm going to become a writer. I mean, unless the kid, you know, you don't think, I mean, what, at what point did your creative process kick into your mind? It's funny because I was always a writer, and when I look back on it, I realize that that is the thing that has been the most consistent throughout my life for me. But I didn't identify as a writer initially. Um, you know, all I wanted was to be in the theater. Um, you know, I just wanted the the lights and the dancing. I was like a real musical theater girl when I was young, and um, and so I just wanted to be in the theater. And, uh, I mean, from a very, very young age, but I also was always writing. I mean, I just, I'm a very creative person. That's sort of my, your outlet. That's it's just, just what, it's just my strength. You know, I'm lousy at business and make a best-selling book. You can't be that lousy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. I, it's always but, so... <laughs> but I am very creative. Um, so I'm very fortunate that I've been able to find a, a profession. That's reflected that. So you you got out of high school mm -hmm. and you wanted to go into acting. Right. So uh, so my parents are very wonderful, generous, great people. We're very close now. When I was a teenager, um, it was a battleground in my house. And all I wanted was to get out. My father and I are very similar and we just lock horns. And so I left home when I was 16 
and went to college. And I, and I went to study theater at NYU. I went a year early. Um, so, yeah, so I was 16 years old, and I was living in New York City. How did you get into college when you were 16? I mean, could you you think, can. I, it, did you graduate high school that early? or? Well, I got accepted to college first, and then I did an early graduation. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. No, it's, so you can. You can apply to college a year early and try just do, you know, you know, some hocus pocus and try to convince them that you're ready. Well, it's funny when you say when you and your dad's head butted, you know, when, when you were at that age. Well, all I could think of is because you said in the book how you'd be wanting to wear a Sex pistol shirt. And, and, <laughs> and But I grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Uh -huh. So Cherry Hill and Livingston are sort of the Similar, same kind of towns. Yeah. So I just thought if someone, you know, if someone, some of the people I know, if their parents would be like, you know, what are you wearing a Sex pistol? So that was just something that opened yeah. my eyes. It's all about what the neighbors think there, right? Oh, yeah, God. It's, that's New Jersey. It, it's 100% about what the neighbors think. And I, I'm weird. I was a weird kid. I, I it was like dropped from an alien spaceship into that town. <laughs> and, I, and I just was, you know, always reaching to find out who I was and to express myself. And sometimes that took more colorful manifestations than others. Uh, but my parents really are much more from the, you know, just everything should look good whether or not it actually is good and uh you know what what will the joneses think and or the goldbergs think exactly in their case or um and uh and i think that that's so sad and um I, I don't think that they feel the same way anymore i mean they're still in that community yeah i mean from it, that I, world i don't think but, it changes I, mean, I went to my 30 year reunion and it's everyone's like you know everyone's a doctor or a lawyer and i'm not here you know and they're, and they're all like they're like oh you're in la that's so cool i'm like yeah but you know you make millions a year, and that's so cool. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. just, but everyone, they, it's a lot of them stay back there, as I say. A lot of them oh, go yeah. Or go away and come back. Yeah. And There's I'm like, a lot of go away and come back. I did a reading in Jersey of this, my latest memoir. And uh, uh, I did a reading. At, it's a wonderful bookstore in uh, Maplewood that's called Words Bookstore. And, um, and, it, and it is, it has a tremendous special needs section. The owners have an autistic son and, and um, they employ uh, people with special needs are just, they're amazing. Anyway, so I went and did a reading there and all these girls from my high school showed up and I, and I just like, turned cold you know i had this visceral like sense memory reaction to them and they're standing there and i just watch like every single emotion go across their face they were like kind of proud and also they're like we never really liked you right. and <laughs> well it's so funny because that also probably because you have the bestseller stuff like that and you you know they're probably like now they want to get to know you you know oh they, yeah they, now, now they want to be friends yeah now everyone wants to check in and also i mean i think that there's a genuine aspect to that like when you write a memoir and then everyone from your past reads it um that they want to they want to reach out at, in a genuine way and say um oh like we never knew that that was going on with you and hey i'm sorry and you know life humbles everyone i think and people are much different you know 20 years later 30 oh, years later totally. so uh yeah but most people have been very kind but there's also a, an aspect of curiosity too i'm sure now when you're at myu mm-hmm 
okay, then you started stripping, and then you ended up being that. Now, right. uh, how did that cycle start? Was it when you were like 18 or 19, or were, as soon as you were just frustrated when you went to New York? Right. So, so I went to New York, and I, uh, I just was emotionally ill prepared for college, and I, uh, I, I decided that I'd learned everything I needed to learn after about a year, and uh, and told my parents that I was gonna just just drop out and do experimental theater and you know, hang out downtown and be an artist. And my father was like, well, you know, you, you'll see that being an artist costs money too, and you'll be back. And uh, and then I was like, oh well, you'll see. I'm gonna go get a job as a stripper, and I can support myself. And no, I won't. So that's how that happened. Now, of course, there are pieces in that like not everybody who's faced with having to support themselves makes a decision to go be a stripper there were other things at work that were um you know i always was very um you know exhibitionistic and uh i was real edge pusher you know i, I always want to see like what the limits are in any okay. situation and very adventurous and also um you know i had some issues with boundaries and self-esteem and that's like the perfect storm of you know put that all together mix it up and you have a teenage stripper um so uh so i did that and uh and i didn't do it for very long i also was like we said trying to be an actress and so i wound up on this terrible movie and uh, it was a vampire movie i was the victim victim one and one of the vampire wives told me you know honey this is a terrible job you are going to ruin your knees and you're not making enough money and you don't have enough time for your art. Uh, you should come with me to this audition uh, to entertain rich businessmen in Singapore. And you just, you know, you make you make tens of thousand dollars at a shot and, you know, and it's totally worth it and it's safe. And and so I went I went with her to that audition. And when I got the job, they told me that it, it wasn't actually Singapore at all, that I was being invited to be the personal guest of the Prince of Brunei. Uh, to which I responded, "What is Brunei? Have you heard of Brunei?" <laughs> uh, but I did wind up going, so uh, and that was a, the start of a tremendous adventure. And so now, when you when you came back from there, uh huh, did you end up in New York, or how did you end up coming to LA? Um. Uh, do you want me to get a little summation of the Brunei thing? Because people don't yeah, know my sure. first memoir. <laughs> it's a little confusing. Um, so what, what happened was that I wound up in the harem of Prince Jeffrey of Brunei, and I spent about a year and a half there on and off. Um, and so that's what my first memoir, Some Girls, is about. And uh, and when I came back from there and people say, well, like, were you a prisoner and how did you get out? I was never really a prisoner. Uh, they had my passport, but I, you know, I could I could leave um, if I insisted. And in the end, I think you know it was my time there was just kind of over, and I was ready to go. And um, when I got back to New York, I was so derailed, um, and I, I couldn't remember what what I really had cared about or what I was doing, and nothing seemed to mean all that much. Um, and uh, and so I moved to San Francisco. Okay, is what happened. Um, a good friend of mine died in New York, and I just uh, you know I felt really sad, and it seemed like um, a good time to transition and be somewhere new and be you know somewhere I could see a beautiful ocean. And so I moved to San Francisco, and I was I finished my bachelor's degree, um, and I was there for a few years, and then I moved to LA. So you got to LA. 
Mm-hmm. And then you were, I know, at what point did you start working at the beauty shop? And when, when, <laughs> I know you went to beauty school. I did. I went to beauty school. So um, when I moved to LA, I had a pretty serious drug problem. And um, and now, when had I, that started in Brunei or did it started had, in San no, Francisco? No, it started or? in San Francisco. Okay. Um, I know. I was like, I was uh, in a harem in Southeast Asia. But actually, my drug problem started in San Francisco. Uh, but it's true. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I was I was addicted to heroin. And I and it was, you know, really a long and, and torturous process getting off. And so when I did, I decided, you know, like, I just need a normal job. I just want to be a real person. Like, I just want some stability. I'm not going to write again. I'm not going to, you know, I don't need to act. So I don't you were going to give up all the, I mean, I even, 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 give it all up. Writing was your passion, but you were going to give it up. Yeah. And. I mean, I, I don't know that I said, like, made a definitive statement, right. like, I'm giving this up. But I did say, like, I'm not going to attempt to lead the life of an artist anymore because I that's what I romanticized my whole life. And it just seemed to be getting me into more and more and more trouble. Um, and I was really suffering by that point. And so I said, OK, I'm going to get a real job. Uh, I'm going to do hair. I'm going to do hair and makeup. And I and I was doing that for a while. And then I went to beauty school and I was so old. I felt really, really old there. I was in my late 20s by the time that was happening. That was crazy. Um, and uh, I, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, how am I here? How did how did this happen? Right. After all of this, it wasn't after all I wanted. How did this happen? It wasn't Marinello's, was it? Was it one of those chain schools? It wasn't, but okay. it was. It's still there. Because there's one in Burbank, and I always go by there. It was in Glendale. Okay, because the one in Burbank, I live in Burbank. You I see, changed like, the name, but only slightly. That's so funny, because you in just the see memoir. girls coming out, and they're all wearing white. The white smock. Yeah, I did all, have to wear a white smock. I, I'll go from the gym. Walk from the gym, and you see them all going to Starbucks. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, the, the beauty school's out. Yeah. So, so you, you did. So I did that. I graduated. I am, I am the proud holder of a cosmetology license yeah. in the state of California. I have not let it lapse. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> um, and I met my husband when I was doing that, and. Uh, we our, our first conversation was really about beauty school because he was like, so what do you do all day long? I was like, hmm, I go to beauty school. And my husband was like, beauty school's hot. That's the one thing I like. Is <laughs> that when later when he told you it wasn't, which is which is great though. But I think, yeah. I mean, that's like anything though. I think it just shows the kind of guy he is that he, you know, he can tell you, you can you can tell if someone's not really happy with what they're doing. Right. And when they sit there and make it sound like it's it's great, then it's like even if you know and. Even if you don't, even if you think they're joking, it's still it's that effort because a lot of times people will be like, "Oh, you know, you're in beauty school." So you met him, right? So I met my husband, and and I was in beauty school, and just graduating, like right around when we met, and it was terrific. You know, he he's such a super guy, and he was really supportive, and he was very um, impressed with how I was trying to change my life and that, you know, I wasn't afraid of hard work. And, um, and so I did that for about a, a year or six months or something, work, worked at a hair salon when we were together. Uh, and then at some point Scott was just like, why don't you quit this job? You're not very good at it. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't like it. He went back to his old hairdresser. We had the, like this giant fight about it. No, okay, no, no. So, so he went to you, and and, and I messed up his hair so bad. And he, and he was like, oh, "Dude, I can't do this." I went back to my old hairdresser, and I was like, "You can't do that." I'd 
rather see a Cheeto Maid. <laughs> exactly. That was terrible. I lost my mind. And he was like, you're not very good at this job. And you don't like it. So why don't you go to graduate school and do what you are good at and you want to do and and get your degree in writing? And that's what I did. I was like, okay, you don't have to ask me twice. Well, don't you think it's sort of like a sign? I'm just thinking, you know, you said you were giving up the life of acting and writing and then your husband's a musician. So right. isn't, isn't that sort of like, I mean, I think it's something that, that happens to a lot of us. There's all certain, there's reasons why we end up with someone. Like my girlfriend, I went right. to college with her. I never really talked to her. We, chance encounter over booking me to do a comedy show three years ago. I ended up her living across the country, us talking. I flew her out and then it happened. And it was just a chance encounter. I was like, in my head, I'm probably going, I should have always been with a girl from New Jersey. Right. <laughs> went to my college. I just, it's just, I grew up there. But isn't that, do you ever look back at it and go, you know what? There was a, there was signs on the wall that, you know, you would get back into this, what you do and love because. Sure. There, I mean, there was that, there was more than that. I, I mean, I, I was not able to adhere to this idea of, of, you know, not really or not not like never doing art again but just not focusing on that because what I started doing was writing in the afternoons at beauty school because the atmosphere around me was so compelling and uh, you know the characters and the the dialogue and the the smells and the plays and um, I just had to write about it and so and, and I would just take notes and write and write and write and that writing um, turned into eventually my novel I also have a novel out right. called pretty and um, and it was really based on that writing that I did in beauty school so I was doing it the whole time well what was it like going back to school because you said when you went to beauty school you were um, older and uh -huh. then when you're going back to graduate school as I always say, you know, when I was in college, when we had uh, people who were older that took a class, we would call them curve busters because they weren't like us just screwing around. Hey, let's oh, get right. drunk. And <laughs> so was was it, were you, were you excited or were you a little scared? I mean, because it was a whole new adventure going back to school for something that you love, but right. there's a difference of writing in a journal and then actually having to step up oh, and do it. Oh, for sure. And, and apply a different kind of rigor and discipline to it. And that is what graduate school did for me uh, was, was legitimize the enterprise enough that I was able to finally um, get some discipline around it and uh, and and that has lasted me till this day and uh, you know I was I was nervous I suppose but I was really excited and really grateful and uh, there's a lot of uh, oh you you need to go to graduate school you don't need to go to graduate school is it worth it is it not worth it um, and a lot of those conversations will center around, like, will it get you a job or not get you a job? And I'm like, you know, I, I really treasure the time I spent in graduate school and the people that I met there. And, uh, you know, and did it give me my career? No. But uh, but it was such a special time for me. I mean, as somebody who had had a lot of a lot of hard years to be able to go and be a student and study what I love and be taken seriously and have people to talk to and have guidance um, was just, uh, you know, I had a ball. So you, you, you get, get out of graduate school and now at what point do you decide that uh, you and Scott want to start a family? At what point is that, that you sit there and go, you know what? I don't know. Cause then you said in your first date, he said, I want kids. Which... Right. We were trying to have a family from, about four minutes after we met. Okay. It was, we were never, I mean, we weren't, 
like actively trying for the first year or so. Um, but we were never not trying. We were like, what if we get pregnant? Be so romantic. It'd be, it'd be great. Um, so we, we were always trying to have a family and it was the most important thing to us. It was one of the things that brought us together was this, this real desire in both of us. Um, and, uh, like to, to move on to that phase in life to, to start a family. And, uh, and it didn't happen for, let's see, uh, for, for five years. So, um, whew. which it must get very frustrating. It's like, I mean, just because the fact that, you know, I would just think, okay, you want to have a family and then it's, right. it's not working. So one, we have the frustration, which is just that you're sitting there going, God, Damn, but I wish this would just happen. But then I would also think it goes into a sense of failure, even though sure. it, even though it's not. I mean, it's it's not. You're not doing something wrong. It's not like you're sitting there going, you right. know, as you, you know. That I, doesn't I, mean I, that you don't feel like you right. are. Right. I'm saying so. You yeah. To, so how and how do you combat that with just you know? I mean, with just how do you stay sane, especially because you after you had been strong and you'd given up drugs and was there any point where you just like screw this? I'm just gonna go back i mean did that yeah. ever go through my mind with no, frustration uh, you know it was never like i'm gonna go use heroin i mean really when i was done with heroin i was i was really done with that piece of my life um but uh, i mean there was despair you know like such darkness took over it was more just like i think i may never get out of this bed again um and uh, and so the the depression around it and the um, I mean there there is there's all this magical thinking that starts to happen like uh, that it's a punishment or that it's karma especially when you come from like such a scandalous past like mine um, I'm like oh I ruined my body because I I was I wasn't respectful of it I, you know I thought I, I was like I'm being punished by God or it's like a sign that I'm unfit to be a mother and uh, you know and if you're struggling with infertility right now and you're having those feelings um i think it's really really normal to have those feelings and it's fine it's just not true um and what i know now is that our our path it just it just took what it took it took you know every step of that path to get to be the parents to the son we have today and and the other son that we have coming actually um we're in the middle of another adoption uh, and I mean, it, it was the most painful time in my life and I would do it all again, 10 times if I knew that my son, you know, I'd have my son at the other side right. of it. So, it, it, you know, it just, we just couldn't see what was in front of us and, and it was all unfolding quite perfectly. It just, uh, was, it was a hell of a road. Now I know when you eventually decided on adoption mm -hmm. and Scott wasn't his, his first answer to you pissed you off. Right. Right. I mean, so I mean, I mean, and now he knew you were adopted. Yeah. And so, but did, I mean, how do you think that, I mean, how did, how do you think that came up? Because I mean, to, to skirt around it, I mean, how did you, I mean, I know you got very pissed, but what made you so pissed off that he just didn't want to have someone who was adopted, even though you were adopted? Well, I mean, there were, there were so many levels to what was going on with that conversation. So what happened was that I, I really had this epiphany and at some point within our infertility treatments that I was done with it, that I didn't want, I didn't want to go any further. 
uh, I stopped sooner than I thought I would and, uh, and that I wanted to adopt. And, you know, when I brought this to Scott, I mean, of course, being raised in such an adoption positive environment, like I was, I never, it had always been an option for me. And in fact, I always thought that it was something that I wanted to do. Um, it just seemed really, really important to me to like have a baby out of my own body first. But, you know, then, uh, you know, I, I, I thought that maybe we would adopt down the line. It was, it wasn't something we had really talked about. I just thought it would be great. And, um, and so I brought it to him and I really was not expecting him to have reservations because I, I just wasn't familiar with that way of thinking. And he did. And, and, you know, and I've since really learned that that's not all that uncommon. And, um, you know, and I'll tell my friends, like sometimes they'll have a partner that's not as enthusiastic about his adoption as they are. And I'm like, just give him some time. Like it's, it's a foreign concept to people sometimes and they have to like learn about it and let it sit you know in their minds and in their hearts and maybe meet some adoptive families or talk to some adoptive parents which ultimately is what happened with my husband um he has a, a good friend who has this awesome son uh and those two have such a terrific relationship and the son's adopted and uh and so he talked to his friend for a while and his friend was like Dude, you have you have no idea. Like you have no idea the love that is out there for you. Um, and and Scott was really like able to see that and feel it. And and he did a 180 around it. And now, I mean, there's no there's no one more enthusiastic about it than my husband now. Well, I think also what happens is it's to the point where it's like, and it's not if you if you were gonna go and adopt a pet, mm-hmm. you know where you can go. But if you want to adopt a child, first of all. Most people, even as intelligent as they are, have no idea. I mean, it's not like you. Where, sit there, where do you start? It's like a Google it's so search. So daunting. And then you go, okay, yeah. Google. So then you go, well, what the, you know? And then you're looking at things, and I think that's the one thing that I think that people, you know, hopefully, like with your book, it will, it will actually, and it will actually help educate people, just because the fact that you don't know where to go. It's not as right. I said. You sit there and go, you know, what if I, me and my girlfriend wanted to adopt a kid? Well, we would go, well, what do we do? It's like, and you don't, you don't have an idea. And then you think, well. And, and you always hear from the media and stuff. It's so hard to adopt. That's the thing that we hear. We hear so much. I it, know it's, it's people so... say hard, hard, hard. It you know it's it's challenging to sort of like jump through the hoops and get through the paperwork. I imagine it's you know challenging to go through a pregnancy too. It's you know having making a family is hard. Being a family is hard. Right. It is hard for sure. But it's not. That's not no reason not to do it. But no, no, it's but not my, impossible. My, but that is what people think. Yeah, my point is also, and yeah. it's not people. If you talk to people who have adopted someone or are adopted, it's not as hard as it thinks. But I think right. it's like anything. It's like the media. They make it sound like you know you'll, you'll see a 2020 where they tried to get this child and after four, you know, and then you sit uh, there and you see the TV and shows and all the horror stories. I mean, I think that what gets what gets publicity are all the horror stories, and the horror stories are such a small percentage of you know the adoptive families. I mean, I know so many loving adoptive families, you know, that have beautiful stories, but the horror stories are of course what get the publicity. What makes it 2020. Right. So it's not the, it's not the, Hey, you know, they had a kid and, and they adopted him and the kid now has, you know, four scholarships to five right. schools. You never and hear about that. And they're cool. Or the kid, right. or the kid doesn't have five scholarships. You know, the kid I mean, got a C in math. 
and he, you know, just quit saxophone, and he really likes pizza and skateboarding. Like, like they're kids, they're right? Kids. So now, now, you know? when you decided, what was what were the processes you took when you decided? Okay, when you finally said, okay, we're gonna do this, and as you said, you know, your adoption when you were younger, you know, you even mentioned how your, uh, we're supposed to have a sister, but because they decided your mom was Jewish, they didn't want to leave. I mean have her go with a Jewish family. So right. you had that you you had known the someone of the the older roles. I mean, so where did you guys start? What is it? I mean, you you talk and what do you decide to do? So, we started by going to a seminar um called the Adoption Options Seminar. I'll actually give you the correct information. The, the names of everything has changed in the book. Uh but for for anyone who's in Los Angeles, there's a seminar called the Adoption Options Seminar that's at the Southern California uh Foster Family and Adoption Organization. And and we went to it and it's it's terrific and it's very informative. Uh it's both inspiring and informative. It lays out all the ways you can adopt. Um, there are three basic ways. There's international adoption, uh, domestic, private adoption, and uh, foster adopt, adopting through foster care. We're doing the third option now. We're adopting through foster care right now. Um, and, uh, and, and, and they all have their benefits and they all have their drawbacks. And it's, you know, it's really just good, like what's going to be the right fit for your family. So we went to this seminar, uh, and we, um, saw a photo album a woman was handing around a photo album of her trip to ethiopia and and in this photo album uh where where she adopted her eight-year-old daughter in this photo album there was this like beautiful respect for her history and this like meticulous documentation of everything this little girl had in ethiopia and um there's this one picture of her nannies in the orphanage, standing there holding up signs um, that would say, you know, uh, you love to sing and dance, and God bless you, and we'll miss you every day. And uh, and I looked at it, and I was like, that's where our child is. I just knew. And I looked at Scott. I said, that's where our kid is. And he was like, okay. Uh, and then we did research, and we did our due diligence. And at that time, it was that was six and a half years ago now. Um, it was a terrific program. Now it's almost impossible to adopt from Ethiopia. So you have to really do your research, find out where. Why is that? Um, because there was uh, there was a lot of corruption, and so they pretty much shut down the program. Um, although we we worked with a really ethical and transparent agency, there were some that were not. Now, did you encounter any of those uh, not the ones that were crooked? I mean, because I would think that. Any, I think it's that's what sucks. It's like when the people, when there's a, you know, when New Orleans, all the floods happen, people were selling right. water and ice for like an outrageous. Right. There's going right. to be people who are always going to try Anytime there's to, an opportunity or anytime this. there's a need. Right. So, so you know, the, the, there is a real need for adoption reform, both internationally and domestically. And um, what I tell people is like, it's not enough just to find somewhere on Google. Like you need to talk to people. You need to talk to other parents. You need to talk to other families. Like even if you do just find somewhere through an internet search, an adoption agency, ask them for referrals that you can talk to who adopted through their agency and have, you know, and have been through it for a few years. Um, because, you know, I, I think that 
that that there is a lot of corruption and a lot of people who want to take advantage of people in need. So yeah, you go to Ethiopia and you said mm-hmm. it was an outrageously long flight. I mean, you yeah. said it's just, I mean, it's just insane. I, I would be going crazy. And so what is the, what is the moment that you get tea that how do you sit there? I mean, what is, how can you sum up that feeling? I mean, cause it's, you know, I mean, you can write about it, right. you can do that, but in, in that you can't even visit. I mean, what, what is, what was the feeling inside you when you sat there? And I know when you first met, I mean, you still had to wait, which you said would be crazy. But uh-huh. what what is that feeling for someone, you know, especially because you're creative and you have, your mind, you know, probably runs like all people are creative. What, how could you sum up that feeling when you sat there and went, you know, you, you've hit your the top of your Mount Everest? I mean, what right. was that feeling like? Um, well, our, our whole trip to Ethiopia was I, I don't I don't know if I will have another experience like that in my life. I mean, you know to top it. It it was so remarkable. And it was, I mean, when we first saw our son, it was like an out-of-body experience, you know, and I, I called my book Everything You Ever Wanted. And it really was like this pure moment of, I, oh my gosh, I have everything I ever wanted at this moment. Um, and, you know, and it was like just the most profound experience of falling madly in love with this little baby and and with my husband and with us as a family. And it was just um, it it broke my heart wide open. You know, I really think that I changed as a person that day. Now, when you bring him back, he's, a, he's almost a year. And of course, I mean it's like anything he's coming from a very big different surroundings i mean sure. he was you know in quarantine he was sick yeah when he was younger he was sick and you know and he even got a new uh whatever the doctor's called the baby doctor i know you, you told one to back off i know when you sat there when he was you said i'm adopting this kid right but, right so is it for you are you sitting there because you want to be a mom and, and you want to be a great mom and you know he's everything you always wanted and you're bringing him home and you of course like anything you want to give him a wonderful life but in your mind did you ever think because we don't think about this stuff that he's really gonna have to adjust because he's coming from something completely i mean right we're talking to and you said he was so behaved on the plane so you probably oh yeah we were is... like we got the best one yeah. i don't i don't know it's just so easy we're just so lucky um i, I did know that there was going to be an adjustment i had no idea the scope of it I you know I wasn't like oh we'll just kiss him and love him and he'll be fine um I you know I'd done enough reading to know that when you take a child from everything that they know you know and that that there is a great trauma and it's a real loss and that there will be grief um and I was prepared for that and it takes different forms in different kids now my son is on fire and he's that's just the kind of kid he is everything goes outward everything is the volume is turned up 110 percent and uh and and then that's that's always how he was and he um you know he's not one to go quietly and so he he um had all of these behavioral manifestations of trauma the trauma 
that he suffered in his first year of life through, you know, multiple separations, um, through malnutrition, through illness. Um, and, uh, and so we were faced with, you know, how, how to treat trauma and learning about that. And, um, and in that process, I really learned a lot about myself. Like as what? well. What do, what do you think you learned about yourself? Just impatience or in just growing or is just, it's not always your fault? Or, I mean, what do you think you've learned through that? Well, I, I mean, I learned that I also have some trauma in my past and that maybe some of my extreme behaviors um, and, and risk-taking behaviors in my history were a result of that. And I finally went and really started to get some help, started to get some proper therapy for myself. And that has been enormously helpful for all of us because, you know, he had all this trauma coming up and it was really, uh, bringing up all of my stuff too. Um, and we were both feeling unsafe and all crazy in the house. Um, and, uh, but you know, my son had tantrums. That was the biggest, that was sort of the biggest piece of what we were dealing with. He would have these violent tantrums like 10 times a day. Uh, and he would, he would bite me like, but I had bloody bite marks yeah, all over my body. You said about the bite. Cause when I was a kid, I would bite and my mom would yeah. give me an orange. That's what she would do. And I just uh, bite the orange, but, but, yeah. so, but that was just a different age and different time. And, you know, if, Someone gave yeah. a kid an orange. They go, oh, all right. Well, it's you know, you know, I mean, our neighbor used to beat their kid with a wooden spoon. Right. You know, and no one ever said, oh my God, you know, it's it's bad parenting. But, right. But for here, it's like I know you mentioned that you know, in, in when you were in Target one time, or it was one of the stories that, you know, people just people automatically judge. Oh, people are so quick to judge, and that is one of the greatest things that I've learned from having a child with special needs. Uh, you know, it's just to like back off everyone. You have no idea what is going on. Like I see a kid having a tantrum now and I'm like, I have no idea what's going on with that kid. I have no idea what's going on in their family. I have no idea what's going on for their parents. I have no idea if they have some sort of special need or if they are in pain or if, you know, like we are, we're so quick to judge and, you know, and I, and I would be sitting there and I had to restrain my son. It was horrible. And we, we would have to, you know, we had this like, body restraint that we would do in him and we would just have to like lie on the floor in public in the mall and target whatever with him until he calms down um and people were would just give us the meanest most horrified looks and i'm just like lady you have no idea you have no idea what this kid has been through you know you have no idea how hard he's trying you know, you have no idea like how he's processing sensory information in the world, which is different from his peers. You know, he processes sensory information in a different way. That's that's one of um, one of his challenges. So, uh, yeah. So I really I'm much less judgmental now. I mean, I still find some. Oh, yeah. I still find a few key moments well, to be judgmental. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, you know, what's also amazing is that when you sit there and, you know, when people would judge, you know, you and his behavior. But then you turned out, you know, that he intellectually was before his, I mean, he was advanced. Right. He's super and, smart. And so, I mean, that's one thing that people sit there and go, oh, you know, it's a kid. And sometimes they don't know. I mean, I mean, we don't know. I mean, it might be if you're five, if you're three and you're on a, a fifth, uh, five-year-old's level, 
you're like, I don't want to hang out with these three year olds. They're they're boring me. It's like you know, right. you sit there and it's it's the advancedness, and they always say, you know, it's just a matter of you know, it's you you feel advanced. Like you even mentioned at one point where his nail was on his shoe, where you couldn't figure out why he was crying, right. crying, crying, because you don't they don't th- sit there and think to say, hey, my nail is coming off because right. they think you should know that, but we don't think it because they're kids. Yeah, I mean, it's all about communication and, uh, you know, finding the right language. Like for me, I think I spent a lot of time just wanting him to speak my language um, and it was learning to communicate successfully with him to whatever degree I'm successful, but I'm certainly more successful now than I was, um, has been about learning how his brain is processing a situation, you know, learning how how his how he's working neurologically under different conditions um, that has allowed me to 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 talk to him in a way that's much more effective. Um, but yeah, he was <laughs> he was years behind socially emotionally, delayed socially emotionally, and years ahead cognitively and intellectually and uh i was like oh terrific we've got like the profile of lex luther right. <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna be like the most brilliant bank robber right. in all the world but uh but now actually um that gap is has closed mostly mostly closed now i know when you when you had him in schools and that's the one thing that I, i'm one of these people that i'm Stuff like that pisses me off. Like some some of the schools that, for me, they they in my eyes they sort of took advantage of you guys, and 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 that's the one thing that you know bothers me because it's like it wasn't like you guys were hiding something. It wasn't like you were sitting there going, hey, you know, take care of my son. And he takes a show off. He has four feet. You know, you said right. here's the thing, and that must have pissed you guys off because you're both you're going through this stuff and you you're adjusting and you're sitting there going, we just want the best for our son. And how, I mean, how infuriated would you be that when a school would sit there and you tell them up front, here's what's going to happen. Then they go, after they've taken your money and they sit there and they go, oh yeah, well, you know, and the one point is where he graduated. And it's like, right. I mean, how infuriated, because you, you want to keep your cool. Well, that was in his, in his occupational therapy, they graduated him because they didn't like him. That that one teacher didn't like him. Um, you know, it took me a while to get angry. Mostly I was just confused and despairing, you know, cause I didn't know. Was it me? Was it him? Was it them? I, I didn't know that, but I, and I didn't know what I was going to do or where I was going to find for him to fit because like the dedicated special needs environments that I was looking at, uh, didn't seem like quite the right fit for him. Um, and then, the, but the schools of the more neurotypical, you know, mainstream schools, he was just a little too far outside um, of the the developmental spectrum behaviorally. And so we finally found a school, and I'm just so grateful. I mean, I'm so grateful for, for our school that I... Uh, all any anger I may have had, it's completely dissipated because we did find a school that was willing to stand by us. And we said, look, it's going to be tough. If uh, how committed are you to this child? Because we don't we don't want to cause another disruption in his life. We don't want to introduce him to yet another whole group of kids and tell him he can trust and start having emotional relationships. And then you yank him out the minute it gets right. hard. 
and they said, we are very committed to you. And we're going to work through this together. And it was rocky. The first eight months was really rocky. And we wound up having to get him a classroom aide uh, who was a, a lifesaver. And now, um, it's like, a, I love his classroom aide so much. And he doesn't use her anymore. He doesn't need her anymore. And But I still call her. Okay. <laughs> and I, so I'm like, can you just cut, can you just come in? Just, you know, like, just come in and check up on him. Just go see how everything's going in school. She's like, I can. She's like, really? He's, yes. he's all right, Jillian, you know? <laughs> like, I can, but he doesn't need me anymore. So what made you want to write this book? Because your first book, I mean, was a memoir. As I said, you know, you went, you got some, as my mom would say, you got some guff for it, you know? From, <laughs> you, she got some I did get guff. You got guff for it. <laughs> and, and the first one, and, you know, and as you said, you know, you're going, and and the people that were, you know, as I call them, the, the hit and runners on the internet that would send you stuff. I mean, like, you know, they'd right. just be dicks. And they'd just sit there. They don't know you. It's like, and then now, because Twitter, the people are saying, I mean, it, it happens, you know. So you do this book, and now, you know, you're doing a book that's completely different. I mean, right. most, most people sit there. I mean, you wrote a novel, and then you write a memoir. And then now you're writing, I, I mean, it's a memoir, but it's also a uh it's a, a guide somewhat right. to people. Yeah, it, it does have it does have a prescriptive element to it, and there's a resource section so in the back. At what moment in your head did you sit there and say, you know what, I'm going to write this book? Well, I, I was writing a blog uh, is how it started. And the blog started because I was just so desperate to find a way to connect about the experiences we were having, which were not – the experiences that my friends, just my friends who are already in my life, who are parents, were having. Uh, so I had to reach out for a broader community, and I found that on the internet, and I found it through blogging and um, and through the adoption community online. And and then through that blog, I started to really love writing about parenting and writing about our experiences as a parent. Um, and that really was the genesis of the book. So you write the book and then now, you know, you've been giving people advice. Now, have you gotten some good, have you gotten some, cause as you said, in the, in the first book, you got some, I mean, in your first right. memoir, you got some people who are uh, very, okay, you know, this is great. Some people are like, ah, oh, you know, screw you or whatever, you know, this and that. Right. Now, how great does it feel? Cause you must get some really good messages from people yeah I, I was expecting my experience with my my first memoir you know everyone people love to shame sluts you know so i got a lot of slut shaming for that i also got a lot of love and support for that book um you know and, and it's a book that was really important to a lot of women um and but this next book i was more scared about the backlash if there was going to be any and, and adoption can be tricky, can get politically a little tricky. And, um, and, uh, because I'm like, well, this is, this is my, this isn't just my baby. This is my creative baby. This is my baby about my baby. Like right. this is like baby squared, you know, it's just like what, how I couldn't care more about this book. I it just like, love it it's precious to me it's it's a gift to my son and I was like what are they gonna what terrible things are they gonna say about me this time uh and very little they have said very little bad stuff I I um I mean I think everyone gets a little bit of pushback and if you're going to be in the public eye you have to be ready for that 
and take it in stride. No one likes it, but to just you metabolize it and move on. Um, but uh, I mean, the outpouring of love and support around this book has been uh, has just knocked me over. It's been really incredible, and uh, you know, I get such kind emails from people and um yeah it's it's just really been lovely and the the reviews have been phenomenal it's been great it's it's been a great experience it's been really special putting this book out my son went on tour with me see that must be great it was so cute you have t-shirts that says i'm t yeah <laughs> like i'm t oh <laughs> ask me about the book my mom wrote about me <gasps> Um, but he was yeah. really proud. He really likes the book. I mean, he, he obviously has only heard choice sections right. of it. I've read him choice sections of it, and he really, he really loves it. And um, what's about him? I mean, that's what. Yeah. What I mean, you know, he, you know, as you said, he's come such leaps and bounds. Yeah. Coming from a village, being a sick kid, to now there's a book about him. I mean, that's like that's for him. That's got to be such an accomplishment, just for the fact yeah. that he went through the hard times and now. You know, he's getting better every day, and this is sort of a testament. So it's like, it's like, it's funny. You guys never gave timeouts and stuff like that, but right. this is this is like the perfect, as you call it, a time in. Which right. you know, is, this is the perfect thing where you're giving him a reward. Yeah, yeah. I I just think that he is really like he really gets it, and he knows. I don't. I I didn't sugarcoat it entirely. I said, you know, that this is a book that I wrote a lot about our challenges and how you've learned to work through them. And, um, and I think that that will be really helpful to other people. Um, and there is one, it was funny. We are at a playground and there was one kid who, uh, was, you know, just having some behaviors and uh, I know it well. And he said, maybe, maybe his mommy should read your book. That's funny. That's too funny. <laughs> so, so now you've decided to adopt again. We are adopting again. We're crazy. And oh now, my gosh, we're crazy. Now, why we're did excited. You, you chose the foster care system this time? We are, we, you know, and it's we were just really led that way. Um, we again, we we just met some people who adopted through foster care. I was very moved by their stories. Um, I know some people who were who were foster kids, and um. I've been very moved by their stories in my life. And uh, and anyway, my husband just and I just felt drawn to it. And there's such a need. There is such a need in L.A. County. If you're considering adopting, um, there, there are 20,000 kids out there who need homes. Um, you know, just consider opening your home to one of them. Now, has the process started already? I mean, It started. We are almost there. I think we'll have a kid by fall. Really? Yeah. Now, now are you going boy or girl? Boy. Okay, you're going to so now another now, boy. Now does does T know? Is he excited? Or oh my how, gosh, how's... he's so excited. He's he's just he's over the moon about his little brother. We'll we'll see how that translates when little brother's actually here sharing his toys. How but, old is he? Uh, how old is Taraku? Is seven. And... We do, there isn't a specific child yet, but okay. we do have an age range between three and three and five or six. Okay, yeah. so so you're going older this time. Yeah, we're get we're adopting a slightly well, older that, child. I think that makes sense, just because now you know you've been through the you've been through the younger younger. And now we like, we had yeah. a baby. We're good with that. <laughs> I love babies. I'd love another one. Maybe you know maybe there'll be a baby baby in our future. Okay. But right now we feel like we want a sibling for T and like a proper sibling he can play with and uh, and also we just feel moved to adopt a child who's slightly older because they're 
more in need of homes and we feel uh, like we have a lot of resources and a lot of skills and strategies around parenting traumatized kids. So, um, because there will be trauma, there is trauma um, in these kids' lives. Now, do you have any, are you working on any new books or do you have any ideas for new books or what is your next passage going to be? Is it going to be like this one? Is it going to be a, a, a novel or what are you going to write? Um, I'm, I'm actually writing some theater. Okay. Um, and I am, I'm planning on writing part-time through the fall and winter because we'll, we'll have this new child who is going to need, you know, a tremendous amount of attention and care. Um, and so I'm, I'm scaling back a little bit and we'll be putting my attention there for, um, for however long I need to really, but I'm, I'm planning on six months, which is the same thing I did with Taraku. Now, what made you decide to start writing theater? Just because your background? Just that... back to my roots. I, I've written some theater before and, uh, and anyway, I just ha I had an idea. So, um, yeah, it's just what, what I'm feeling passionate about right now. Now, now, uh, we only have a few minutes left. How was it? I know you were just in Greece, I believe. I saw it on Facebook. We were in Greece. Taraku and I went. Scott was working, so he couldn't go. It was phenomenal. We have such memories from that trip. I mean, definitely the transitions were challenging. It was challenging for Taraku to come back. But, uh, you know, I, I will say to parents who are afraid of taking their antsy, active children on long plane rides, that there is no child more active than mine. I mean, he is, he is definitely a wall climber, chandelier hanger. Um, and, uh, and he did great on the flight. It was really not a big deal. Uh, I was so scared of it and it wasn't a big deal. He did great with the time difference. We had so much fun. We went and saw the Parthenon. We went and swam in the Mediterranean sea. Uh, you know, he wouldn't eat very much. That was a bummer, <laughs> but, um, but I certainly did. It was hey, great. You can't, you can't <laughs> and it's good that he just said he's good to travel right now. I mean, yeah, that's gotta make yeah. you happy that he's good to travel. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. Um, give all your information, give all your books, give all the stuff, just give all your, cause I know you have a lot, I know you have your great website and you, you know, and, uh, well, you can find everything on my website, which is JillianLauren.com. Um, and my Twitter is at Jilly, J-I-L-L-Y, Lauren. Um, and my books are Everything You Ever Wanted is my new memoir about adopting our son uh, and parenthood. And Some Girls, My Life in a Harem is, is the harem book. That's the harem memoir. And my novel is called Pretty. Now, do you ever do uh, book readings in the L.A. area? I do. Uh, I, I have done a lot i'm sort of done with my book tour so i, I don't have anything scheduled coming up but just... but but if you follow my website i they're always on my website i was say you should do some of those storytelling nights because they're, they're always fun i do them every once in a while they're, yeah they're just, they're i, I do storytelling you can actually hear i have two stories on the moth too that you can find by googling my name well yeah. i want to thank you for coming on it was yeah. a pleasure meeting you thank I, you so I, much I, for having you me you have to sign the book don't forget absolutely and, uh, so people follow her okay and, and go to her website and just buy the book because it's really good even i mean i'm a i'm a i'm a guy and i read it one day and I, i'm not a big reader i read 250 pages in one day so uh follow her on twitter at uh jilly Lauren, and also follow me on twitter at cooper talk that's at cooper talk Go to my website, coopertalk.net web over, I'm up to like 407 episodes up there right now. So check them out. I, I post three new episodes a week. Also, you can follow me on iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, just go to type in Cooper Talk. Or if you have a Google Play, uh, the Google Play Store for your apps, your Androids, 
There's a Cooper Talk app. And also my book. You go to my book, go to StopTheSalt.com. You know when I had my health problem uh, three years ago when I got out of the hospital? I had to change my diet completely. So it's 120 recipes, all low sodium, good for your heart, good for your blood pressure because you don't want to end up in the, in the heart ward because it's an awful time. And they're easy recipes, no pictures, no intimidating ingredients. Just you look at it. There's a key in the front. So go buy it. You can buy it at Amazon or you can buy it from me at StopTheSalt.com. If you buy it from me, I make more money and I'll sign it for you. So that's a good deal. So remember, go buy Jillian's book, Everything You Ever Wanted. Follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I will talk to you guys next week and have a wonderful weekend.